0: Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of The Hammer, an umpire podcast. I'm Kevin Weber. I've got a pretty packed episode for you today. We're going to be talking about a variety of things, including the benefits of walking, assigner expectations, we'll spotlight umpire, Hall of Fame umpire, Bill McGowan. We'll talk about the new NCAA bat color and testing rules. We'll do a little bit on three-man mechanics Uh, We'll take a look at um, one particular umpire's goals that were sent in to me. And we'll talk about information on best places to buy gear, best places to get training materials, and my most frustrating moment and my most memorable moment. So sit back, make sure your speakers are working well. You've got your earbuds in tight for another episode of The Hammer, an umpire podcast. Last season, I delved into the role of the assigner. I I did some assigning for my local high school association, mainly sub varsity, you know, baseball assigning. Though I I helped out with some varsity assigning when we had um, a bunch of rain. We had a terrible spring here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I had a lot of, uh, you know, cancellations and had to, you know, rework a bunch of games. I also helped a little bit with, um, the um, softball signing too. So I used the Arbiter Sports platform, which I I think is really good. I I like it quite a bit. And kind of was trial by fire, really. And I had to really delve into that and figure things out. But I'm pretty good with that kind of stuff. So it worked out pretty well. Then in the late spring through the whole summer, I also assigned um, through Arbiter and everything uh, for this uh, new local uh, travel league That the you know these travel teams that have this league throughout the season from like nine U teams all the way up to like fifteen U teams a whole bunch of games, Um, and it it was um, a a good experience overall. I mean you know some challenges of course, but anyway, um, being in the assigner role, you start to um, you know understand what assigners go through and you know the curtains pulled back uh, of how they try to put things together and you know they're human beings uh, you know assigners are and. You know, they make mistakes and they try to figure things out and uh, they have a lot to do. I mean, we all have, uh, you know, one schedule we're trying to get for working our baseball games. Um, They have hundreds of schedules, you know. So for the most part, um, most umpires, they understand that and they're good about things. There's always those few problem umpires that um, seem to always be causing some kind of trouble uh, for their assigners and, and don't seem to understand that, that they're always the one they're having to deal with right but uh, they had a, a, a NASA article um, a week or two ago that uh, talked about assigner expectations and that's what i'd like to talk about here they mentioned uh, about six different things that uh, you should be thinking about um, when you're gathering your schedule um, here in the winter time and then as you start to work it in in the spring um, so first thing is being professional that's probably the most important thing, is handling things in a professional manner, um, bringing your A game every time you're you're on the on the diamond. Um, personally, I, I don't know how you can't bring your A game. I don't I don't have any other game. You know, I'm not good enough to have an A B C D E F G game out there. I only know one way to call balls and strikes, and I try to work on that. I've gotten pretty solid at it, but I'm working on it all the time. I don't have like the game that doesn't matter. Strike zone. I really don't. I just call it the way that it is. Um, You know, how far off the play is it supposed to be to be a strike or a ball? I I don't understand that. So, also, you never know who's watching. I know you've heard this before, but it's so true. Uh, uh, There's countless stories I've heard about, um, you know, a parent of somebody that's significant in that community um, seeing what happens, you know, with an umpire. Um, Either they look terrible and, and really, do themselves in, or they do a great job and they give themselves some opportunities. Um, they might be in the stands. Your signer might uh, stop by. You never know what's going to happen. So you've always got to be hustling. You've always got to be doing things 100% whether you're, you're working a low-level youth game or you get a Division One NCAA assignment or whatever it might be. All right, So you got to work the same way every time. Um, also whether it's your first game, first and only game of the day, or, you know, you're working five games that day. I mean, you've got to give the same effort. I know that's hard, but that, that's kind of the goal. All right. Um, the other thing is how you deal with, um, things after the game, you know, off the diamond, you know, you, you shouldn't be engaging parents. Um, you should be trying to avoid those kind of situations or, or fans and, and, and that kind of thing. Um, and certainly players and coaches and, um, also you know just you know how you handle things before the game even starts are you there on time um, do you contact your partner and make sure you're both on the same page here in Michigan or um, well, at least in West Michigan for high school games you're expected to be there at least 30 minutes before a game and for collegiate games at least one hour. Um, Most people are there a little bit more than that beforehand, especially if you haven't worked with a particular partner. So if your assigner sees that you're doing those things and hears about that and and doesn't hear bad feedback about those things, that's going to help you move along in the direction that you want to be. Second thing that they kind of talked about was being honest. This is very important as well, all right? Um, If there's some kind of issue going on, um, you need to tell the truth about it because invariably... Um, your assigner is going to find out that you lied. And that's hard to come back from, all right? Um, there are some guys, it seems like they had everybody in their family die in the spring, and that's why they had to turn back a game or why they couldn't, you know, help out or whatever the case may be, all right? Uh, I know s- certain situations do happen and tragedies do happen, but uh, sometimes you just got to suck it up and do a game. I mean, there are always those times, especially if you do a lot of games where... You know, you got a game on Thursday and it's Tuesday and you really don't feel like doing it. You hope that there's a big thunderstorm or something, but it doesn't happen and you just got to suck it up and go do your best job. Uh, I know you get worn out. You can't just like come up with some excuse and try to turn it back into your assigner and make more work for them. That goes with um, not griping about other officials behind their back, not griping about your assigner and what your schedule was. You, know, you got to understand that there's a lot of variables that go into um, you know what an assigner has to do. Okay, so next thing is um, being accurate. This is probably one of uh, my biggest pet peeves, and certainly my uh, assigner's uh, biggest pet peeves is not having blocks. You know, for your schedule. Um, you know, you don't want to just big old open schedule, and then you um, just start declining a bunch of games because you're not open, or oh, I didn't realize that uh, oh that's my kid's birthday, this and that. I, I always see these messages come through like on Arbor Sports, like oh that's my wife's birthday. Well, why didn't you block it then? I mean, what are you doing? You know, if you know it's your, it's your wife's birthday every year, if you're not going to work that day, that's fine. Just don't make it so that I have to now. I assign it to you, you turn it back, and I got to sign it again because the signers don't get paid you know, again, to assign it a second or third time, you just made more work for them. That puts you on the short list. And let's not, you know, we'll be honest about it. You know, the guys that make more work for their assigners are not going to be getting themselves ahead. All right. So in Arbiter Sports, if that's a platform that you use, and I know a lot of guys do, um, you can block dates very easily. You can block it for um, multiple assigners, you know, um, or, you know, block one assigner, not block another assigner, you know, for whatever groups you're in. Very easy to do. If you don't know how to do that, you know, there's probably people around you that can show you how to do that. Next um, thing for, uh, that assigners like is guys that are flexible. You know, guys that... Uh, if there's a tight situation, they can call them up or, or text them or something and, and on a short notice, they can help them out with a particular game or they can do it tomorrow. Or, you know, they call them the night before. Hey, can you be at this school at, you know, 4.30 tomorrow to do this game? Boom, they can do it. They can count on them. That's going to get your head. When your name pops up on on the computer um, for a particular assignment and they see you and a bunch of other people there, you're more likely to get those things and move yourself ahead and getting, you know, better games in the future. Um... Sometimes it gives you some opportunities to work a, a level that maybe, you know, you're not quite there yet, but you get that shot uh, because you're available. You know, I know that's tough for some people. Uh, sometimes you um, you have a job and you just can't get out at the drop of a hat. I mean, I'm a high school teacher. I, I teach till 235. There's times where I, I might have days off and different things where I can do games, but in general, it kind of is what it is. Next thing is, um, you know, being that volunteer, being that senior guy that, um You know, helps out newer officials, is a good partner, a good mentor, uh, does the things that uh, helps move the association along, helps the assigner to, um, you know, within the group to develop uh, better officials that they can work certain games. So if you're that kind of guy, that really gives you some bonus points with your assigner as well. Um, And the the last thing is uh, being patient. Uh, Being patient with your assigners as far as, you know, mistakes that they might make. Maybe there's something wrong when you see um, your schedule, you know, as far as a time or schools or the pay or whatever it might be. Um, You need to be able to approach them and communicate with them. Some assigners just want a phone call. Some guys like email. Some guys like to be text. Whatever it is, having an idea of what um, they like and how they like to be communicated with and doing that to the best of your ability, all right? And then understanding that... um, You know, sometimes, um, you know, there's just a bunch of games that they got to fill and they're not always thinking about one particular person's schedule and, you know, maybe that they should be getting ahead in in certain ways or maybe getting uh, a postseason assignment and it kind of slips their mind or something. Well, you know, hopefully it happens, you know, next year. Um, that's what it is. No use complaining about it. Um, of course you don't want to move ahead too quickly anyway because guys that, that seem to do that, um, crash and burn, um. But it's just coming back to the first point of being professional and uh, understanding that uh, assigners are human and that they're trying to do a big job and that uh, sometimes things don't always work out for every individual person, which might be you, all right? Anyway, if you're an assigner out there and, and you have some feedback on this or some uh, comments about what expectations you have as an assigner, I'd love to hear from you. You can go to the Anchor app and leave me a voicemail, or you can email me at SpinalFusion06 at yahoo.com, or you can go to the, the Hammer, uh, podcast, or Hammer Podcast Facebook page and uh, leave a comment there as well. Anyway, um, some things to think about as we move into the spring, how you handle your assigners and the kind of expectations that they have for you. Um, If you are able to do that, uh, you're going to start getting ahead and maybe getting better assignments um, in the future. I've been thankful that this week I've gotten some feedback on Facebook and through emails uh, about things on the podcast. And one... Um, thing that I got was from Sven Bridstrup, who um, basically left a comment on Facebook saying, less history, more rule scenarios, and mechanics, please. So, you know, I can understand that. However, I have gotten feedback from people that like the history, particularly the umpire spotlight. So um, I'm not going to be doing away with that, but I certainly will try to add in some more mechanics and rule scenario, since uh, that might be something that several people are looking for. Nonetheless, I'm going to do a little um, three-man mechanics segment. Uh, with the uh, bases empty when U1 goes out to right field. Basically, this is a, a counter rotation um, in which the U3 and the plate umpire revert to two-man mechanics. So in this situation, uh, U1 takes responsibility for the fair foul and the catch. No catch. The uh, plate umpire moves up the first baseline in um, in foul territory and takes any play on the batter runner at first. And then once the batter runner reaches second base, uh, the plate umpire returns home for any potential plays at the plate, which which you would do if you were working two man. U3 moves to the cutout at second uh, when all this is happening for any plays there and also has any responsibility for a play that might come into third base so in general there are quite a few or several situations in which the plate umpire and three man is going to be covering third but this is really the only situation that he is covering first base and it's certainly one to know if you um, are working three man and have the opportunity to do that so there you go Sven there is a mechanic segment for you hopefully that will uh please you, at least for this episode. I got an email from Nathan Harvey, a Michigan-based umpire who's kind of a newer guy, just getting into this, this avocation that we all love. And he asked a few questions in this email. He asked, what's the best place to get gear? What's the best place to get training materials while well, he waits for our high school association to send him some stuff like his rule books and casebook and things like that? Um, he asks if he can write off, um, you know, uniforms and equipment and things like that. Yeah, you can do that. Um, make sure you, you know, look at the tax laws or talk to your accountant or whoever does your taxes. And make sure that's all good, but yeah, that's possible. But you know, I'm not gonna—I I am not giving you tax advice, but it is possible to do that. So look at that; that always helps out a little bit. Um, also, he yes, asked, "What is my most frustrating moment and uh, my most memorable moment?" So I'll try to answer those two. Those are kind of tough, but I'll see what I can do in this segment. Let's start first with um, gear. Okay, there's lots of places to get gear. A lot of them are online you can google these websites they all have websites the places I'm going to mention what are the best ones I I don't, I don't really know for sure um, usually the best one that most umpires think is the one that gives them the best price <laughs> maybe that's free shipping maybe gives them a percentage off because of an association that they belong to that's usually the best one all right like I bought my rough smart um, timer um, I'm just looking for the cheapest deal all right. I um, mean, it's the same timer at any of the places I buy it from. Whoever's going to give me the best deal and I have to pay the fewest number of dollars, that's where I'm going to buy it from. So that's the best for that time. Um as far as like, you know, maybe you like a particular type of umpire shirt, you know, some people like Smitty shirts, maybe somebody likes a Honig shirt, you know. Well, whatever, you know, if you like those better, there you go. Some people like the Jerry Davis pants better than than other types of pants or something, than the Smitty pants or something like that. So that doesn't matter. It's just whatever you think looks better, whatever fits you better. Go for it, whatever is the better deal. You know, some guys think certain things hold up better than others. Um, but some of the places to look, I mean, well, Jerry Davis and Smitty, those are two things I just mentioned. You can look there. But uh, Umpatire is a place you can look. They usually have some deals and, and have all the the standard stuff that you might need, including equipment, like if you're looking for new you know, shin guards or something like that. Correct Call Officiating, more of a Midwest type of place, especially if you um, work in Michigan. That's a good place to go because they have some uh, MHSAA type stuff there. Um, Honig's Whistle Stop used to be based out of Ann Arbor, but um, the company was sold and moved out west. But they still uh, supply lots of officiating things, including um, baseball and softball um, uniforms and equipment um what else here i i see some other ones that are online that i've looked at before like anthem sports um baseball monkey uh smith sportswear and there's many of them around the country but those are some of the bigger ones so you know just kind of look and see um who's giving you the best deals um this time of the year you know they're always trying to do their kind of black friday christmas type sale so they have usually free shipping is usually the best thing you can get but um Sometimes if you belong to a particular association, they'll give you like 10% off or something like that as well. So um, those are some places to get gear. I mean, of course, you can go to your local sporting good places and look for things, but specific umpire gear um, is usually um, on certain websites. As far as like face masks, chest protectors, shin guards, I personally like Force 3. Um, I know there's lots of other good masks and chest protectors and shin guards out there, but those are the ones I like. You can buy those from some of those websites I mentioned, or you can go directly to um, the Force 3 website and look at those things as well. All right. Um, Equipment's really important, you know, especially your face mask. Um, You know, we don't want concussions. Um, Get a face mask that's going to prevent you from getting a concussion. There's several good ones out there. Look at the reviews talk to your colleagues, see what they say. I mean, that's that's the surest way to um, end your umpiring career is getting one or two concussions and then you're done, all right? I mean, if you're getting, you know, hit on the shin or the forearm or something like that, I mean, we all survive those. But stuff and blows to our heads, that's a little bit tougher. As far as training materials, there's a a good number of stuff out there. Um, You know, magazines and books, um, those kind of things, if you're a high school guy or, or below Little League, um, um, the the NFHS, the National Federation of High Schools, um, their website sells some materials there. Um, they have you know, case books and things that they sell. They have little publications that they sell, um, including their um, uh, the, the yearly um, preseason guide that they put out for rule changes and o- other things. Um, they have mechanics books that they put out. Those, those are good. Sometimes you get them for like 10, 15 bucks. Sometimes they run specials this time of the year. It's a good time to look um, if you're looking for those kind of things. Um, NCAA college umpires, the CCA Baseball umpires Manual, the Collegiate Commissioners Association. Um, if you sign up for the NCAA, they send you a new one each year. But if you're not and you're not maybe you're not planning on doing any, college empire, but you can still, you could probably look on eBay or, or some other place like that and get a used one from like last year that somebody's selling that might, might be able to get it. I'm just guessing like 10 bucks or something like that. Um, the referee store through Nasso is, um, a really good spot to go. They have lots of publications that are good and referee magazine is a great thing to, to have come into your house and also their digital copy through their their app is great. Um, you know, you really should look into um, some kind of insurance. NASA has that. If you, um, you know, it costs about 120 bucks a year, I think. But you get Referee Magazine, you get pretty good insurance. I, I can talk about that on another segment in a future episode. But um, good good information on all kinds of sports because it's the you know national association of sports officials so they have stuff on there in basketball and softball and football and soccer and baseball and you know all kinds of stuff um some of those things are pretty interesting to look at i mean if you do multiple sports obviously that's great but i mean i only do baseball but still i find it interesting sometimes to see some kind of mechanic thing that they're trying to write about for football or whatever it might be um and then you know you can you know you can you can see some of the main issues that all officials kind of deal with by looking through that magazine. But um when each season comes along, like when it gets closer to the baseball season, they have more articles on baseball and softball and those kind of things. So that's a really good thing to look into. sometimes associations, I know our high school association here um will cut you a little bit of a deal. you get a little bit better rate uh, if you go through them than if you just do the standard rate. So that's something to look at. There's lots of videos out there online, some good, some not so good. I, I've mentioned it before, but on Facebook, the United Collegiate Umpires um, Facebook page, um, they have all kinds of videos on there. On you know, A lot of times it's on three and four men mechanics, but uh, some of it um, – now, sometimes I'll do some 2 man. But some of it applies to just basic umpiring. So some of those videos are really good to look at. I mean, if you know you do some Google searches on whatever it is you think you might need to know, um, there's lots of stuff out there. There's lots of good video out there, and it's definitely a way to learn. And then, of course, the other way to learn is just you know watching baseball games and uh, going to baseball games, um, particularly professional games, and seeing how guys um, work work a particular base or how they work, you know, work the plate. um, Those are definitely very beneficial. As far as your other couple questions uh, concerning most memorable moment and most frustrating, let's take frustrating first. I can't say I have like specific, you know, like one specific frustrating moment that stands out. But the thing that always stands out more than anything, I guess, is when you know you got to play right you know, or you got a ruling correct and somebody's arguing about it and they don't know the rule and, and they're wrong, okay, Th- that is the most frustrating thing. And it seems like that is usually when people are arguing with you. <laughs> you know? um, when you might have missed something, when you are feeling a little unsure about something, it seems like most of the time people don't even come in and say anything. You just let it go. And you're like, okay. You know, if, if you make a safer and an out call and you think, whoa, I don't know, man. I might have missed that one. And somebody comes out. And, and sometimes they do. They'll come out and they're like, what? What would you have there? And you've got to explain yourself or try to explain what, what you had. Um, you're thinking, well, yeah, you know, that was close. I, I might not have got that right. But sometimes, man, you just know you nailed it. And they're out there in your face or something and um you know you got it right that is frustrating that drives me crazy um just like i can recall um the first time i ever got hit by a batted ball i was working two man i was in c uh there were runners on first and third this is like a summer league game or something and line shot you know towards shortstop i tried to get out of the way you know and it's like the thing that you know worries you the most i'm usually fairly agile but i wasn't enough on this play hit my pant leg all right i, I know i hit it went in the center field of course the guy in third score the guy in first went to third everybody's going and i call time and of course you know the ruling is um you know you only advance if you're forced so that guy that was on third had to come back the guy that made it to third that was on first had to go to second and now we got bases loaded well, obviously the offensive team was not too happy with that, and they thought I got it wrong, and they were all you know yelling at me and everything. Of course, you know this was just as you know cell phones were getting going here. So they about an inning later, they looked it up on the phone. The coach came out and said, "Hey, you got that? You got that right." I'm like, "Yeah, I know. I mean, I think everybody should know what it is if you get hit by a batter ball. That's like the worst thing that can happen. You you want to avoid that at all costs, but uh, sometimes it's unavoidable. So." That was kind of frustrating because I know I got it right. I mean, you know, I'm like, hey, I'm sorry I got hit. I tried to get out of the way. But, you know, that is what the ruling is. And um, so, at least in the end, they knew that I got it right. But frequently, things like that happen. And you know you got it right. And the game ends. And, you know, you just go home. And um, they probably still think you got it wrong even though you got it right. Maybe they looked it up. But I don't really give them enough credit for doing that most of the time. As far as... um most memorable moments i mean i've had some i've been pretty lucky i've had some good memorable moments i guess i'll take a most recent one um last year i was lucky to work the state finals again here in michigan and um when we worked state finals in michigan you get 2 semifinal games and then one of the final games so we worked four man so um i worked first base the first game and then third and then second for my my final so i had the, the division one the bigger school final the 9 9 a.m game on uh, the opening game of everything all right on Thursday I had uh, Rockford and Macomb Dakota for those that are from Michigan this is we hold them at Michigan State University at their field and everything luckily they've installed lights and they're really good LED lights there because it was starting at 9 a.m in a mist the field drains very well and we had lights it was um you know some challenging playing conditions. The ball was wet. I mean, I was like drenched, you know, by the end of the first inning. But um, it was a great game and uh, ended up going eight innings. You know, we played seven because it's high school. And uh, Rockford ended up winning three to two in the, in the bottom on the eighth on a ground ball to short that was, you know, wild throw to first base, pulled the guy off of it, off, off of first base. The guy in second kept running, came home, throw to the plate, and the guy was safe. And, you know, everybody's out going crazy and all that kind of stuff. So, um, but the big thing was I luckily, I was on. I mean, I was really on on my my plate job. Um, You know, I'm sure I missed a a pitch or two, but I didn't miss very many. And um, I was very consistent. And I I called a really good game. Um, The supervisor, you know, umpire supervisor after the game gave me some nice compliments. And um, I really felt like I did a really good job and I was really focused, you know, in a big moment, in a big game with a big crowd. I, you know, really did what I could do. I did the best I could do. Um, That doesn't always work out that way, but I'm really, really happy that it did at, at that particular moment. So I will remember that game for a long time. I mean, you know, I've worked, you know, I work hundreds of games a year. Um, and when it's all said and done, it's going to be thousands of games, like lots of you guys, and so only a few stand out. But I know that one's going to stand out. I'll remember that one for a long time, and I have a good feeling about that, and you know some good memories about how it, how it worked out. So that's probably my, at least my most recent memorable game, I guess. So, and, and I hope that some of you guys have similar things like that. If you have a a, a most memorable game or a most frustrating moment feel free to uh, share that with me. You can send me an email at SpinalFusion06 at yahoo.com. You can uh, leave me a message on the uh, the Facebook page, uh, the, the Hammer podcast. Um, and um, you can leave me a voice message through the Anchor app, and uh, I certainly will use that on the show. All right? So hopefully that answers some of your questions there, Nathan, and um, uh, helps you maybe get yourself a little bit more prepared for this next season. This episode's umpire spotlight is Bill McGowan, Hall of Fame umpire who umpired in the American League from 1925 to 1954. A lot of people called him uh, number one, And the superstar and lots of other nicknames, he was a very confident umpire. And um, it was said that uh, he was a great ball and strikes umpire. Ted Williams at one point said that uh, he probably got 99.9% of his ball and strike calls correct. And uh, of course, Ted Williams was known for having a a great batter's eye. Old-time Yankees manager Joe McCarthy used to tell his players uh, not to ride mcgowan when he was behind the plate because he was the best ball and strike guy that they saw so there was no use doing that in his day um, mcgowan was a bit of a flamboyant umpire Um, made loud strike calls and uh, uh, you know over the top sometimes um, safe and out calls Um, he was uh, known for his signature strike motion was consisted of a clenched fist held about you know four inches or so above his his head. I guess he kind of used a hammer, um, and you know he, he he knew he was good. Um, there was one time when uh, Mickey Vernon um, from the Washington Senators, um, you know, questioned him about why he called somebody safe, and and McGowan shot back at him because I'm the best umpire in the business. I'm number one, and and that kind of led to some of his other nicknames, like like I already mentioned, number one, but Chesty and Wild Willie of Wilmington, because he was from Wilmington, and uh, Hot Shot, you know, sometimes those were for some praise, sometimes for, um, you know, his arrogance that he definitely displayed. And nowadays, we talk about kind of being the invisible umpire or official, um, but that certainly was not the case with McGowan. Um, he'd call a ball or uh, a ball a strike to speed up a game or a strike a ball as a favor to a batter um which obviously that you wouldn't get too far with that nowadays um because of different things that he did uh he received three suspensions um in his career once in the minors and twice in the majors for um you know basically getting ticked off and displaying his temper um but he was super durable um Once he called 2,451 games, that's like during a 16-year period, he never missed a game, 1925 roughly to 1940, um, in spite of some of the suspensions, of course. Um, So you you know he had injuries as he went along, but um, he certainly endured them. And managed to make it to eight World Series and four All-Star games, including the first All-Star game in 1933. McGowan did uh, several things other than umpire and, and things for baseball, for that matter. Um, when he was in the minor leagues, and I guess this was acceptable at that time, he would uh, recommend players to different teams. Like, uh, he recommended Goose Goslin and Bucky Harris to the Washington Senators. Um, he recommended uh, Jimmy Dykes to the Philadelphia Athletics and, you know, owner Connie Mack and everything. Um once he got to the majors he didn't do that. But he always seemed like he was, you know, trying to help out the younger, newer rookie type players, um, to help them get ahead and, and make them understand how things were working. Um so, as I was said, he's from um Williamton, Williamton Delaware. Uh, he was born in eighteen ninety six, um and uh his father, you know, owned like um, you know, three beer and whiskey stores in Williamton and and died of pneumonia when he was um, you know, a young man, and, and that was in 1909. Um, Bill McGowan, he, he never was a drinker or anything like that, surprisingly, and if he invited you out to get a drink or something, he drank something non-alcoholic like a, like a milkshake or something like that. Uh, he took up boxing when he was in high school and even turned professional, but he got knocked out in his first professional bout and uh, called that quits. His uh, brother John, who was um, you know in the Williamton Fire Department, introduced Bill to umpiring when he was sixteen years old, nineteen twelve. Uh, Bill agreed to sub for his brother at a semi-pro game in uh, Newark, Delaware, um, and he you know he took to it. You know for about four innings, he said you know things were a little scary before he. Um, Basically figured out he, he didn't need to keep his eyes closed when he, when he was uh, trying to call pitches. And he opened them up and, and then the rest of the game he, he, he kind of liked it. He filled in uh, from time to time after that. In the 19-teens uh, through 1922, he bounced around in the minor leagues. He worked some time in the um, Delaware County League. Um, he worked in the Virginia League. Um, he worked in the International League um, up until, you know, 1922 when um, he got suspended in 1922, uh, the first time in the minor leagues that that happened. Um, he, he decked Baltimore Orioles second baseman Harry McCurdy, who had objected to being ejected uh, by landing a punch on, you know, McGowan's chin. Of course, he was a boxer, so McGowan then landed a, a right jab to the jaw of a policeman who'd stepped in the two. You know, he didn't see him coming, I guess. Anyway, fined and fired. You know, he got a reprieve uh, several months later from uh, the Southern Association, who was confident that, you know, he was a really good umpire and that he could control his um, temper. And then after McGowan umpired a couple years in the Southern Association, um, American League President Ban Johnson offered him a job in the majors, uh, and he made his debut at Philadelphia Shide Park on Open Day, April 14th, 1925. McGowan served in uh, World War I and around that same time 1918 he met his wife Madge and uh, they eventually settled in the Washington DC area in uh, Chevy Chase Maryland where they lived for a majority of their lives An interesting thing about McGowan is that a player's status made no difference to him which is you know really what it should be for everybody I guess So somebody like Babe Ruth or Ted Williams they were getting the same treatment as you know a rookie So, um, in 1925, when he was a rookie umpire, he was calling a New York Yankees spring training game and he threw out Babe Ruth, um, who complained, um, you know, and basically McGowan said, I know who you are and what you're all about, but when I'm wearing this blue suit, you're just another ball player, you know? So I, you know, threw him out of the game. Uh, Ted Williams in a game at Fenway Park in 1942 decided to, um, to strike out in response to booze boos from spectators. Ted would get booed frequently, even though he was a great player. And, um, after he took two lazy swings, McGowan told him that after a, a third such swing, you'll be thrown out of the game, fined and probably suspended. Um, because, you know, he thought he was, you know, being lackadaisical and not given, given his all. So anyway, um, Williams decided to, to, to try a little harder and he blooped the single in the left. And, um, anyway rookies you know rookies that would come in and play for the first time uh, in front of McGowan um, he'd call him Bush or Busher and stuff like that and tell him who was in charge and everything and sometimes he'd be a little uppity to him but uh, that was the way it was um, back in those times so he certainly was never afraid to to throw somebody out of a game probably sometimes a little too quick Um you know, sometimes he, you know, he, he knew somebody was going to start arguing something. And before they even argued, he'd throw them out. I don't think that go very far nowadays. Um, but sometimes he, you know, he understood the, the humor of the situation. Um, there was uh, one situation where um, there was this pitcher for the uh, Red Sox, Sid Hudson. He um, was getting upset with McGowan's, you know, strike zone. And, you know, there was a ball four call and Sid Hudson flipped him off okay which obviously in most situations would be uh you know room for ejection there but uh, McGowan just turned around flipped him off right back and they just kept playing so I guess they were flipping the bird a lot back then I don't know I've never really heard that so in the off off season um McGowan had two pursuits that kept him pretty busy uh writing and uh speaking he'd go on speaking tours around um The Northeast, basically, talking about baseball-related things, telling stories and things like that. And I guess he was pretty good at it. And uh, he wrote. uh, He was quite uh, a writer. He wrote articles largely like human interest stories about players and managers and coaches and, of course, umpires for, like, the Sporting News, uh, Liberty Magazine, Esquire Magazine. Um, For a number of years, he wrote a syndicated column called 3 and 2 that ran in, like, 30 newspapers. Um, so you know he made a little extra cash doing those things, and he was um, a wanted speaker as well. However, his um, probably his biggest lasting legacy uh, to the game and to umpiring was uh, in the form of uh, umpire school. So he always believed that that should be started. So in 1938, working out of his home in Chevy Chase, Maryland, um, he conducted classes and practice sessions at like the at University of Maryland, and then in 1939 he teamed up with. Um, Fellow umpire uh, Emmett Thomas Ormsby uh, to establish a school in Jackson, Mississippi, uh, and then they moved that later to Florida. And then the school operated for about one month between you know January and March for each year in various Florida locations. And in you know thanks to the GI Bill after the Second World War, enrollment uh, really went up. So in uh, 1947, it was 251, uh, and 95 percent of those guys were veterans. So that's interesting. Um, Many graduates of the school, you know, they got work in the minor leagues. Um, a few, even, you know, one of the early ones, John Rice, he made it to the majors. And the school continues today. Um, after several changes in ownership, um, it's the uh, it's the Harry Wendelstead Umpire School in, uh, in Florida. Um, so, anyway, McGowan, he uh, died at his home in, in Silver Springs in uh, December 1954 of a heart attack uh, brought on from some complications, uh, struggling with diabetes, and, uh, he had a big funeral, and lots of, uh, former, uh, baseball, uh, players and, and managers and, and, everybody else involved, uh, came there, um, a lot of umpires, American League president Will Harridge came there, um, uh, senator's owner, Clark Griffith came there, uh, manager Bucky Harris did, um, and, uh, Sam Rice was there, um, A lot of active Senators players because he was in the Washington, D.C. area. Um, So that's our umpire spotlight, Bill McGowan, who um, definitely has the lasting legacy of helping to establish the umpire schools that um, all the professional umpires go through to this day. If you're like me, in the Midwest or some other colder climate that has all four seasons, uh, you know that it can be a little challenging at times in the off season to uh, stay in shape. Um, a lot easier to stay in shape when you're working and and uh, you know moving around and doing your games and everything. Um, of course, you should be you know doing some extra things during the season as well, um, stretching types of exercises, other cardiovascular, that's good as well. Um, but you know, I see a lot of guys, you know, that, um, they have a little trouble with their weight or they're a bit out of shape. Um, I don't know if they've tried to make it a habit to get themselves in a little bit more shape and I'm not talking about, you know, running every day and working out with weights and all this other stuff. There are a handful of guys and great for them that, that are able to do that. And they're in great shape. They look like a Navy SEAL or something. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm not a Navy SEAL. And I don't look like one. But the best thing I think you can do is is walk. You got to walk. And you can even walk when it's cold. Because I, I live in, you know, well, right now it's, you know, December here in, in Grand Rapids, Michigan. We got two or three inches of snow still on the ground from the other day. And, and we're, you know, hovering in the mid-30s. And it's only going to get worse from there. But I do walk as much as I can, like with my dog or myself, or I go someplace else that's indoors, you know, like at the YMCA. They have a track or something. And you need to try to get, um, you know, if you can get 30 minutes of walking in a day, um, several times a week. I mean, it's great if you can do it every day. But if you do it four or five times a week, that's pretty darn good. And I was looking up some you know, research on walking, um, because, you know, in, in a lot of ways, and my, f- my family doctor tells me that walking is just as good for your heart and your cardiovascular as uh, jogging, and it's a lot easier on your body, and I know that. I've had surgeries on both my knees, so, you know, I don't need to be pounding them around. So, anyway, over the years, you know, studies have been linked to walking to the prevention of all kinds of conditions and diseases, like, you know, diabetes, obesity, heart disease, anxiety, depression, arthritis, fatigue, dementia, uh, hormonal imbalances, um, Alzheimer's, and uh, cognitive declines, you know, thyroid disorders, all kinds of stuff. So, um, the big thing is that, um, you know, there are like six big benefits for walking. And this is not just because it'll make you in better shape to be an umpire, which it will, but also just make you healthier and hopefully live longer and, and a happier life. So first thing, um, it can fight chronic diseases like heart disease, arthritis, diabetes. And it's one of the safest exercise forms. It supports joints with improved circulation, which helps the lymphatic system to do its job and lowers inflammation. Second, walking is free, it's effective, and uh, it's a simple way to maintain a good physical shape and improve muscular, heart, and hormonal functions. Third thing, walking is an incredibly effective way to maintain a healthy weight. It is an easy exercise to keep up with, has a low risk of causing injuries, unlike you know jogging and things, and weightlifting, and does not cause exhaustion compared to more intensive workouts. You know, even like swimming, for example. Um, it lowers the risk of stroke, this is the fourth thing, coronary, heart disease, heart attacks. Um, a study published in the American Journal of Preventive Medicine back in 2013 showed that a brisk walk positively affects, uh, affects resting heart rate, blood pressure, exercise capacity, maximal uh, oxygen consumption, and quality of life. Fifth thing, uh, walking is a natural way to improve mood, and I've noticed this before, um, you know, the, the fight, uh, in fights depression and anxiety. Commonly known as runner's high, all forms of exercise release natural feel-good hormones in the brain, including endorphins, so it does that as well. And then lastly, um, taking a regular walk stops the loss of bone mass due to aging, which many of us umpires are doing, we're all aging. Um, Walking is a great way to fight against gravity as it forces the bones to become stronger To continue supporting the body weight and lowers the risk for fractures or osteoporosis. So anyway, walking is a low-impact exercise, requires minimal equipment, and can be performed at your own pace at any time. I mean, you can get a treadmill and do it in your house. You can go to a walking track. You can walk in a mall or some other store. And of course, you can walk outside any time of year. I mean, I just bundle up in the wintertime and go do it. And I try to walk every day if I can. Some days don't work out. But I try to get at least a mile to a mile and a half in uh, every day. And I think it does help. You know, it's one of the ways that I was able to like, uh, you know, I I felt like it was a rehab technique for my knees. uh, Once I had my, you know, surgeries and stuff on those the last few years. So that is my um, suggestion for you. If you're looking for something to start to get yourself in a little bit better shape, just start walking more and make it you know a conscious thing you can get some kind of device to keep track of that you know you can do that on your phone you can do that on you know one of the smartwatches and different things like that um and that's always kind of nice because it kind of shows maybe how many calories you're burning or how far you've been walking and it helps you set goals and those kind of things as well or you can just do it on your own i mean you know how far it is around your block or wherever you're going um and try to do that consistently see if it helps with um you know, any kind of health issues you might be having, or if you feel like you're a little bit overweight, see if it helps with that as well, all right, if you do try to do that, and um, you know, have some feedback, you know, I'd like to hear how it works for you, all right, so there's my, um, I guess, my umpire health tip for today. On previous episodes, I've talked about the new um, NCAA rules targeting pace of play with the 20-second action clock. Um, So I think I've gone over that pretty well. But there's a couple of other uh, changes for 2020 that I want to mention and make you aware of. Uh, Deals with bat colors and um, bat testing. So um, in the 2020 season, the, the first change involves, you know, the color of the bat barrel. Uh, so it must now be of a predominantly contrasting color to the color of the baseball between the 18-inch mark and the end cap. And so the the rationale here is to help alleviate safety concerns created you know, for fielders having trouble picking up the ball off the bat when it's white on white, basically. So they have a list of um, available bats, uh, and bats are, of course, very expensive, so I'm sure that's going to... Uh, break some people's budgets but that's that's a good safety uh rule change and it is going to be in effect for 2020 the second change involves bat barrel compression testing so um prior to each regular season series or single date of competition all bats used in competition are supposed to pass the the barrel ring test and barrel compression testing so um, this was kind of approved back in two thousand seventeen, but they delayed the implementation because of you know concerns about cost uh, relative to purchasing the necessary equipment. Um, so the rule will go into effect at the um, NCAA Division One level for two thousand twenty, and then for Division Two II and Three, it'll be in two thousand twenty one. Anyway. Those are a couple of changes that you should be aware of if you work NCAA baseball, and those are frequently the kind of uh, rule changes that end up on the test. They usually have a couple, one or two test questions that re- revolve around what might be the new changes for the upcoming season. So be aware. A couple of shows ago, I did a segment on goals for your 2020 season, and um, I got a message uh, concerning that uh, from David Cuthrell, uh, an umpire here in Michigan, who I've had the pleasure of working with before, and uh, he sent me a Facebook message basically um, stating three main things. That his goals for next year are, one, uh, working at taking plays at home, utilizing the wedge, which is a great thing to do, no doubt about it. Um, it's a great thing to do on all of your bases. You should be trying to, to work that into your to your umpiring. Second thing was uh, positioning and taking plays at first base. No doubt that that is important. We have a lot of plays at first base. I mean, that's where a lot of outs are if you really start thinking about it. So your technique and uh, your timing and... Your positioning are vitally important there and uh, definitely something to look at. Look at how others do it that that you trust and, um, you know, professionals and and higher level guys and see what they do um, to try to help with your game. Third thing he mentioned was when he's on the bases, doing a better job, communicating with his plate partner. Communication, super important. If you're working two-man, three, four, whatever you're working um, the more vocal you are, the more, you know, we're the other team out there, man. You, you've got to, you got to be talking to your partners on know where you're at, where they're going, reminding them of things, uh, particularly the bigger the game, you know, the bigger the game, the more you got to remind people. Um, uh, sometimes guys can get caught up in a situation or, um, if it's a tight game, you know, in a certain inning or something like that. So make sure that that doesn't happen, you know, and the way that to make sure you're doing that is making sure you're doing your signals, you're communicating and you're communicating when the ball's in play, you know, if it's a fly ball, who's got that ball, you're calling it, you're telling your partner, he's got it. You're telling him where you're going. You're hearing those things. You're being loud about it. Um, that's definitely a, a worthwhile thing. So I appreciate, uh, David sending that in to me and, um, and hopefully, if anybody else has certain goals that they are planning on working on for 2020, feel free to send, send them in to me anytime, any way you want to. And uh, I'll be happy to share those and, and give you my opinions on them. Thanks, David. Thanks for sticking with me on this extended episode of The Hammer and Umpire podcast. Uh, I know not everybody always makes it to the end, so I appreciate you sticking with me until the whole show is over. A um, couple things to mention. We're on a variety of different listening platforms now, um, including iHeartRadio and TuneIn. Also, um, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, CastBox, Overcast, PocketCast, Radio Public, and Stitcher. And I know that if you have an Alexa device and you just say, Alexa, play The Hammer, an umpire podcast, it'll play the most recent episode. So that's pretty cool. We continue to have a good following out there. Um, 96% of the listeners are in the United States, but we do have listeners in Canada and New Zealand and Indonesia. And I thank those people in those countries for finding me on the web and tuning into the show and the United States is pointed out to me last time that um, when I listed off the different states that people listen from that I forgot to mention Alabama so I apologize Uh, Todd Egger pointed that out to me but we do have listeners in in Michigan Oregon California New York Texas Virginia the District of Columbia Ohio Illinois New Jersey, Delaware, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Florida, Indiana, New Mexico, Kansas, Nebraska, North Carolina, Utah, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Vermont, Kentucky, Wisconsin, Nevada, Maryland, South Carolina, Arkansas, Missouri, and of course Alabama. Wherever you're listening from, I appreciate it more than you can even imagine. Hopefully you'll continue to do so. And maybe tell a few other people about the show if you think it's good enough for them to listen to as well. Um, I was happy that this week I was able to get some feedback from some people through a variety of channels. Um, if you'd like to give me some information or tell me what you think about a particular topic or suggest something, feel free to tweet me at Kevin R. Weber. Email me at uh, Sponafusion06 at yahoo.com. Check out the uh, the Hammer podcast uh, Facebook page and you can leave a message through that or you can leave me a 60 second or less voicemail through the anchor.fm app. Until next time, keep calling strikes.